Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode seven of Hypnotic Awareness. I am Allie May. I'm Quessy. And I'm Ashley. And the three of us are clinical medical support hypnotherapists. Joining us today is hypnotic legend and owner of the Garrett Wellness Center in Chicago, Larry G. Here I am. <laughs> here you are, everyone. Just look at him. Larry, thank you for joining us. So excited to be here today. So excited. It's, uh, it's going to be a great presentation. We're going to do magic today. I believe in magic. Magic. That's a conversation that we just had recently, ladies. Magic. Let's talk about magic of the mind, Larry. Well, you know, I started that metaphor many years ago. I, I do probably 90% of my hypnosis is done with metaphors and stories. And one of my metaphors is what magic is to the vision, hypnosis is to the mind. Because a magician distracts the vision as he or she holds up their hand and says, watch this trick as they pull a string with the other hand. So they're distracting the vision to create the manipulation. Hypnotists say, relax your legs as you have less urges to smoke cigarettes. Nothing to do with your legs relaxing, but the distraction by focusing on the legs logically opens the emotional mind to susceptibility. We're so happy to have you here today on the Hypnotic Awareness Podcast. And we just had a few questions for you today. And first, would you mind telling our listeners how did you come into hypnosis and kind of how it has changed um, along the years? Okay. Those are both questions uh, that I love answering. Uh, I share often with clients as well a lot of personal issues of myself so they know I didn't pick up a book and say, this is how you hypnotize somebody with stress. Uh, I started with hypnosis when I was 26, and uh, I was... Uh, I was very interested in astrology, so I have followed astrology. Astrology requires a lot of math at that time. We didn't have a computer to go into astrology and uh, see who you were and what signs you are and where your aspects are. So it was belaboring some time to go through the German ephemeris and look up a sign and when they were born and what time and put all the planets together. So I was at an astrologer's conference in Park Ridge, Illinois, and there was a hypnotist there. His name was Fred Shavel. And Fred was this kind of debonair type of guy. And he had this nice hypnotic voice. And he was doing a hypnosis show. And he would have people stuck to a chair, forgetting their name. And I was a very stressed, anxious person. I, was, I had a lot of uh, anxiety. I had had two serious panic attacks. I was heavily medicated for bleeding ulcers headaches and tremors. And I smoked about two packs of cigarettes a day and I bit my nails. Probably had a few, I used to stutter. I used to stutter severely. If there was more than one person, if it was just one person, you'd never know I stuttered. If we had two people, as long as they're both in front of me, you still wouldn't know. But if one was to the right and one was to the left, I would, and words would not come out. So I'm watching this man, Fred Chavo, do this show and I'm saying, it's a crap, I don't believe in this stuff. It's all garbage. And he, you know, as when we become really skilled with hypnosis, we learn to recognize what people are not saying. Mm -hmm. And what I was not saying was that I was an easy subject for hypnosis. Because, you know, when a person's skeptical, you only need to show them one ounce of proof. When they're a believer, you really have to pound it in to get them to accept it. Mm -hmm. So remember, a skeptic is right on the edge of needing only one little thing, like maybe the eyes fluttering, their eyes are closed, and then they feel their eyes fluttering. Oh, wow, wow, what's happening? And that's, that was me. So I, Fred invited me to his class as a visitor, and he came up to each person and he would say, and when I touch your forehead on the count of three, you'll feel your eyes close and go totally relaxed or deep asleep. I think they used to use the word deep asleep at that time. And he comes and he comes and your anticipation is, oh shit, what's gonna happen? Whoa. And your head would drop. And then you sit there saying, I'm not hypnotized. I can open my eyes anytime I want. I'm just going along with him. So Fred was, uh, he was cool. He was a nice guy. We became later and he said, when you open your eyes, you're not going to be able to say your first name. I'm thinking, oh, how stupid is that? I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, going along with him, of course. So he said, okay, everybody open your eyes and I count of three. I open my eyes and I'm waiting for him to ask me my name and he walks away. The worst thing a person could do is walk away from you. 
Did you know that? Did you ever notice that? Mm -hmm. The phrase I use that says empathy is oxygen for the soul. Mm -hmm. See, right? So if you're talking to me and I get up and walk away, wait, wait, you're, I'm talking to you. And that's what I felt like saying to Fred. So he left me. About 20 minutes later, he says, oh, by the way, what's your name? And I said, my name's, wait, 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 I got it. Wait, don't tell me. My name's, and I couldn't get my name out of my, I could think it. I could think it, but I couldn't get it out of my lips. And this last horse roared with laughter. And of course, that became kind of a convincer for me. But there was one other thing that I failed to tell you. When I opened my eyes, I was so worried about him asking me my name that I failed to realize I was feeling so different. I said, something's wrong here, because nothing was wrong. My hands weren't shaking. My head didn't hurt. I didn't have a craving to light a cigarette at that time. Everybody smoked and I didn't feel anxious. And I knew that I needed to know this. I was married at the time. And I remember my, my wife was saying to my mother, you'll never believe what your son has wasted his money on this time. And my mother said, I'm serious. Don't. Larry, now, what did you waste your money on this time? Said, well, I'm taking hypnosis classes. Hypnosis class. What are you taking hypnosis classes for? A month later, my mother joined the classes and also became a certified hypnotherapist. And of course, we spent a lot of time conversing and communicating hypnosis with each other. And she was my biggest fan, biggest fan. The lessons that I will share with you and maybe another podcast one time, because we run out of time with my ability to talk, and uh, is that my mother taught me so many skills. My mother, I might share, was a very different kind of woman. She was tough, she was strong, she was a single mom, and she had her own business in the 40s. Women couldn't even get credit in the 40s. They couldn't get credit in the 60s. Credit cards in the 60s said, Mrs. John Smith. There was no such thing as your first name. So my mom was a strong woman, taught me a lot, and created probably 90% of my success. But that's how I started in hypnosis, and uh, you know, I could write books on it, but I'll just tell you a paragraph or two. Beautiful, beautiful stories, Larry. Thank you for sharing with us. You're welcome. Thank you. So I'd like to ask, um, how, how was hypnosis received when you started versus how it's received now? <laughs> so I opened up a little storefront in 1970. So I had studied hypnosis two years. Hypnosis was different training then. We used to go every week for two hours for one year to train in hypnosis. Uh, that's quite a bit of training. Uh, mm -hmm. I learned a lot in just the classes, not even counting life. And I had this little storefront and I had plants in the window. I love plants. I had a hypno disc in the window. It didn't turn, it just sat there with this zigzag line or a circular line. And three times, are you ready for this? Okay, guys, three times my neighbors called the city on me reporting me for doing witchcraft. You asked me what hypnosis was like different than today. That's how that was. By the way, there were three hypnotists in Chicago at the time. The other two were a little bit older than I. There was a lot of competition. And we didn't have internet, of course, but we had yellow pages. And yellow pages, I would look every year in the yellow pages, and I would see six or seven new hypnotists. The following year, six or seven new hypnotists, different ones. Following year, six or seven, and making that number up. But what I'm saying is that every year there'd be new hypnotists because they couldn't make it. Uh, and I made it. You know, I made it. This has been my profession for 52 years. Uh, this is all I've done is hypnosis. Uh, of course, I was broke in the beginning. Uh, I always say hypnosis in my marriage became the other woman. And so I uh, ended up getting a divorce because hypnosis was obsessing me. Probably the three of you know this. There's a little obsession at times. There's yeah. a little I want to know more. I want to know more. What do you mean I need to be home for dinner at six o'clock? I've got hypnosis to do. I can't come home. <laughs> yeah, but that was true. <laughs> it's true. And so that was my beginning of hypnosis. And my mother, as I said, was a great fan. And she used one word that has caused me to be the best. There is no better Larry Garrett than me. Mm. My mother said, 
Don't compete with these other hypnotists, you'll lose. Just be the best Larry Garrett you can. I showed, we had a Zoom recently. I, I, have, a, I have a lot of historical things from hypnosis. And I might share, I was at a hypnosis meeting with my mother. By the way, they were all men then. Uh, the National Guild of Hypnotists right now claims that 67% are women, so there's less men than there are women now in hypnosis. I think women make better hypnotists than men because they're trained to have more compassion naturally. Mm -hmm. Meaning naturally, uh, how about the phrase, boys don't cry? I used, mm -hmm. to, I used to cry a lot. My mother would say, when you're through crying, you can tell me why you're crying. <laughs> I finished crying and I couldn't remember why I was crying. But... Uh, at least I was able to cry. So all these men had goatees and white shirts and some of them had bow ties. They're all prim and proper because they were all insecure, but they didn't know that at the time. And this was a meeting of people who were involved in hypnosis, but they weren't certified hypnotists. They were people, hypnosis was more of a hobby in the 70s. People didn't know how to make a living at it. They didn't know how to charge it. Hypnosis wasn't something that you go to like you'd go to a hypnotist today. You didn't go to, I didn't have many people who came in and quit smoking or lose weight. So I did stage hypnosis. I did stage hypnosis for about 17 years, made a lot of money. I bought three new cars doing stage hypnosis, traveled around the country. I did 38 states. I did that for, as I say, 17 years. And uh, it was fun, but my armpits were always soaked. I'm kind of a sensitive guy, you know, I've got a lot of emotional stuff going on inside of me before it used to be bad baggage. Now it's good stuff. So I would stuff these paper towels in my sleeves so my sleeves wouldn't, my armpits wouldn't wet my beautiful silk shirts. So one day I'm doing hypnosis show and here comes this paper towel out my sleeve. Said, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just share a story with you, but I've got videos of uh, some stage hypnosis shows I've done. I have nothing to do with stage hypnosis now. I have no interest in it. It was my gig then because I uh, because I couldn't make money doing uh, clients. You know, there mm -hmm. just any clients. So how do you think it's received now? I think it's wonderful now. I think it's a professional appearance right now. It's up to the three of you and anybody watching this podcast that if you have certain characteristics and use a lot of emotional intelligence, you will be very successful. I think we have, as in any profession, good hypnotists and not so good hypnotists. I think what makes a good hypnotist and what's going to create success in the three of you and some of our viewers is being present with your client. That's great advice. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. So, Larry, we talked about how hypnosis was received in the past. And unfortunately, as hypnotherapists today, we are still having to dispel myths about hypnosis. And I'm wondering if you can tell some of the listeners, what are some of the myths surrounded, surrounded by hypnosis? And how can we provide our potential clients with facts about what hypnosis actually is. Right, good, very good. One is uh, the myths have changed. There was a myth that maybe the three of you have not heard. If you have heard it, I'd like to hear yes. What if I don't wake up? Yes, yeah. one? getting stuck, getting stuck in hypnosis. Stuck in hypnosis. I didn't know it was still around. <laughs> I used to do hypnosis shows and I used to do clubs in the clubs, a lot of times the alcoholics would be drunk up on stage and later I had to know. And so here I'm doing this show and I'm all through and I say, okay, on a count of five, open your eyes. And there's one guy laying there like that. And the audience are saying, he's stuck. He's stuck in hypnosis. Call 911. <laughs> okay, so that's one. And, uh, so how do you dispel them? My, my way is by education. We have a little booklet that I've written and you're welcome to use it. And it dispels the myths. It says you won't be unconscious if you're hypnotized. You won't be sleeping. You'll hear me at all times. I have an introduction. It's about 15, 20 minutes long. And it says, hi, my name is Larry Garrett. I'm going to see you personally when you come to visit me. And I start telling them what this is. And I had somebody just the other day. I, I had a woman come and see me the other day. She says, I'm so glad I watched that because I would have been so scared to come here if I didn't. 
So that was one way to dispel some consistency. You want to be consistent with your education. But in, in basic language, Ashley, to answer your question, you dispel, dispelled the myths by letting them talk of what they are fearing. What if I don't come out of it? Well, there's no such thing. There's never been a record of anybody not coming out of it because you're not in anything. You're not right. anxious. You're not sleeping. As I go to what I was going to share with you, I do what I showed you uh, in, um, in my uh, pre-talk booklet. I show them the hypnotic rhythm. Like, mm -hmm. and I say, sometime you'll hear me and sometime you won't. Sometime you hear me and sometime you won't. You don't fall asleep and you don't stay awake. You're in and out. Mm -hmm. so by telling them this ahead of time, and if you do a lengthy induction, you will always have the person, have, a, have the three of you experience that where you feel like you're drifting off and then you're back. You're drifting off, you had that? Yes? See? Definitely. Clients that. Clients that. And then I explain to them how hypnosis works and I do my drawings and I do my little uh, analogies. First questions I ask my clients, what do you want to feel when you leave my office so you know I've assisted you? I see head shaking. It's not about quitting smoking. I'm not going to hypnotize somebody to quit smoking. That's up to them. Mm -hmm. I can hypnotize mm -hmm. them. Have urges. I can hypnotize them. See, this is the issue. If we take hypnosis out of the tangible and view it more on an abstract or subjective level, success is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. As soon as you do a tangible, well, how many pounds do you want to lose? They can talk about it. They want to talk. They want. They need to talk about it. Well, how are you going to lose those pounds? Well, I've come here to be hypnotized, so you could help me lose those pounds. Well, I could hypnotize you to control the eating that is in the way. Let's find out what kind of emotion is causing you to overeat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so get away from the tangibles, and and you won't you won't have failures. I. I don't, I don't, I try not to brag. I, I use a great phrase that says, it's not arrogance when it's true, because I say to you as best I can, you need to assume success with every client. I think I wrote in that manual that I sent you, you never hear an airplane pilot say, I hope I can land this thing. But your <laughs> hypnotist say, I, I hope this works. I hope I can hypnotize that client. What, what, is, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Good point. Really good point. Larry, tell us, tell us about manifesting and tell our viewers too about manifesting. If you look around the hypnosis community, like on one of the media, like say Facebook or something, most people will share with you that my skills of manifesting are superior. Uh, I learned a lot of it from Wayne Dyer. Uh, I used to listen to Wayne Dyer. My mother lived in Arkansas, and so I would drive to Arkansas about 11 hours and on the way there, I'd listen to this guy named Wayne Dyer tell me about how feeling good every day is possible. No way. How can a person feel good every day? How can a person manifest a new car if they have no money? And he tells a story about the cat chasing his tail. And the guy says, why are you chasing your tail? And the cat says, well, I heard I will have the riches of life if I catch my tail. And so the guy says, well, don't you know, if you just go through life, your tail will follow you everywhere you go. But there's a message there that says, don't try, just allow. So the three of you sitting here, I know we spoke about this before, excuse me for being repetitive, but uh, people watching this are watching it for the first time. And I ask you as you're viewing this, as we're sitting here, the four of us, go inside of yourself, not with a thought, with a subjective experience or feeling and feel trust, any kind of trust, trust in your dog, Trust in your partner. I, I am dogmatic in my opinions and I am not going to change it. I'm going to say, if we could feel trust, we will have whatever we desire. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ways I've learned how to be financially successful is by not counting. Mm -hmm. mm, you like that? Mm -hmm. Because when you count, then you always know how much you don't have. Mm -hmm. Because we don't trust, we need to count to make sure we have enough. Mm -hmm. 
that's ass backwards, but that's the way it works. See? So when you doubt, I hope I have enough to pay that bill, you probably don't. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you don't need an account. Isn't there a phrase that says, if you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it? Mm. That, sounds, that sounds kind of tacky and kind of gross in some ways, but the real issue of that is just allow. Now let's use the word allow and trust together because I believe in those two entities and energies to be the dynamics of manifesting. So let's pretend like you're going to do a bungee jump. I use the analogy. And you're standing on this edge of this cliff to jump off. If you don't trust the bungee cord to hold you, then you can't allow yourself to jump. That's just my metaphor. However, if you trust the bungee cord, then you can allow yourself to jump. And if you allow yourself to trust the bungee cord, then you could trust that everything's gonna be okay. So they're always kind of mixed together. And, and we as a society don't trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've learned to trust. Uh, it's taken me a long time. But I've learned to trust. But but guess what? I didn't have a Larry Garrett sitting here telling three fairly new hypnotherapists how to be successful and have magic in their profession. I didn't have mm. it. My mother told me, but I didn't believe my mother. What does she know? She was just my mother. You guys believe your mother all the time. She doesn't know anything. She's just my mother. <laughs> but here's somebody objective saying to you, I have manifested many, many energies. I don't want to say things, energies. Mm. I manifest health. I went through cancer for stage four neck cancer. And I was told by my oncologist, it's going to take you a year or two to heal because of your age. I don't even know what age is. <laughs> I am just who I am at any given moment in my age. I, I was cancer free in seven months. So that's because I continually trusted I would be okay. Mm -hmm. so I asked the three of you, what if you were diagnosed with cancer? Would you trust, Kwesi? That I can survive? Absolutely. Then Absolutely, 100%. Why is that? Because you're trusting yourself? Because I trust in myself. You have, mm -hmm. fears? You have fears? Yeah, I have fears, but not in a way where it's hindering me from yeah. anything yeah. i'm willing to live yeah I'll say that yeah and i want to live my goal yes. is at first i love life so much but when we get into a little depression a little anxiety a little anger we start taking away well-being mm -hmm. we were able to measure we were if we were if we used our car for a metaphor and we change the oil regularly and we put on tires when it needed new tires because bad tires aren't just dangerous. They make the car run crooked and we keep it aligned and everything's okay. And we keep it in a garage and protected. Probably a car will last you 20 years or better. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if we don't, the car will probably start breaking down fast and that's us. The story is that the more we are aware of ourselves spiritually, mentally, physically, there's more success we're going to have. Uh, I live my life by it, you know, and, and no longer can somebody challenge me and say, well, I don't know what you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but you know what, when you catch up to my age and you're doing what I'm doing and you're feeling as good as I'm doing, then you could challenge me. Until then, you can't. It doesn't mean I know everything. And I want you to use this metaphor with your clients. I don't know everything about hypnosis, but I've been around the block a few times. Mm. And that, that's a great phrase that says, no, we, every time we go around the block, we say, I never saw that house before. And it's been there a hundred years and you never saw it before. So every time you sit down with a client, you are going to see another house. You're going to see another energy. You're going to learn a new experience. If you want to manifest, manifest why you're not having it. Mm. stop chasing your tail if you want financial comfort stop chasing your tail to reach it be at peace trust the universe is going to give you all that you need 
and it might take you a while. You know, this is not an Amway routine. You know, it's not. Uh, this is not about having riches right away. <laughs> but you'll have it. Hypnosis is a great profession. Remember, you don't have a lot of overhead. I have four thousand square feet of office space with ten rooms and a large classroom, and I have no overhead. Now, is that manifesting? That's yeah. absolutely manifesting. <laughs> That's manifesting, you see. Absolutely. I just wanted to share with you that you you remind me so much of my dad. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. I hope he was a good guy. <laughs> he is. He's the most amazing person that I've ever met in my life. And he is he's 89 years old. He's such um he's such a positive thinker and giver. He's so giving and he doesn't fear anything and he just knows like he knows no matter what happens in life that he is going to be okay I know and he's you. I know he's been dad. blessed beyond measure like i know your dad i sleep with him every night i eat with him every morning i am always with him yes no fears we're not allowed to have a fear because most of the fears aren't real if somebody pulls out his gun he says give me your money you should be scared but you can't go around in life worrying that he's going to pull out a gun. Right. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you know that I had been to Iraq with the most hated man in the whole world, Uday Hussein. So I was asked to go to Iraq to hypnotize Uday Hussein. So if I had fears, I wouldn't have gone because Uday Hussein was the most hated man in the world, the most feared man in the world. Imagine that reputation. Yeah. And and I had no fears because I thought if he's inviting me, why should I be fearful? So when I was there, I got to know him. I spent 60 hours with him. Tell your dad the story. He'll like the story, Quincy. Oh, I'm going to show him this whole video. Okay, good. good. And I spent 60 hours with Uday. And one day, Uday Hussein says to me, he used to call me Mr. Larry. He said, Mr. Larry, how come you're not scared to be here with me? Everybody else is scared of me. And I smiled and almost like kind of chuckled. And I says, if I invited you to my house, would you be scared to be with me? And he laughed. And he says, no. I said, well, you invited me to your home. Why should I be scared? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I wrote a couple of books, Quessie. And uh, here's one of them here called Healing the Enemy. And it's all about uh, my trip to Iraq. And then here's the second book, a little different, called Hypnotizing the Devil. And... Uh, See a guy name on the bottom, Larry Garrett. So uh, <laughs> I think so, I've seen that one on Amazon or something. You probably have. You probably yeah. Have. In fact, if you if you go on Google and you type in pictures of Uday Hussein, you'll see Larry Garrett's on there as well. But uh, <laughs> uh, the issue is, uh, I'm not afraid of anything because I'm not afraid of dying, as cancer has told me. Was you has your dad been healthy all the time, Quincy? Yeah, he's he hasn't had any major health scares. Yeah, and uh, so I have uh, had very little uh, issues other than this cancer, and I don't know how that came about, but it uh, it was uh, uh, HP virus. So uh, it was uh, it was one of those things, you know, and uh, so that's how I got it. So I didn't get it for my emotions because I I've been pretty emotional excited with life for at least the last 40 years when i when i turned around 40 my life took a big change mm. and uh, it said you know i saw myself one time intoxicated on video so i never got intoxicated again because i didn't like that guy and uh and little by little i started eating differently started feeling differently i started getting healthy and uh, so it's about taking care of ourselves. But I'm glad your dad is such a positive man. Yeah. And I've had encounters. I've had encounters with gangbangers trying to rob me. And uh, do you know that story, Allie? Have you heard that one? No. So I was in Aurora, Illinois. And Aurora, Illinois has a kind of a reputation at night. It's kind of mm -hmm. shady to be out at night, downtown Aurora. Mm -hmm. And I see this one guy looking around and around, and the other guy comes walking across the street on an angle from his corner to mine. I'm actually in the middle of the bridge. 
He said, hey, young man, I says, I got this challenge. He said, I've been thinking about it all day long and I don't know what to do about it. And I just thought that I, he didn't say challenge. He said problem. I don't use the word problem. I got this problem. Think about it all day long and I don't know what to do. In the meantime, I see this other guy checking. I start breathing slow. And if you breathe slow, you can't have anxiety because when you have anxiety, you breathe like this. <laughs> so I start breathing slow and calm. And I see that he's more nervous than I am. He is so nervous. He's so anxious. And so as he's talking, I put my hand on his shoulder and I said in a very calm way, if you've been thinking about it all day long, I wouldn't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You have an e a great evening. I'm running late for an appointment and I'm sure we'll talk again. Oh, okay. Thanks, man. And he walked away. It's a great experience, really. And I've hypnotized murderers and I've hypnotized rapists and I've worked for the local police departments in Chicago for about two years. I worked also doing hypnosis for child abusers. Child abusers are interesting. They're, they're the ones who uh, abuse their children. And most child abusers have been abused children. Mm. And so I worked for a group called Parental Stress and, and it worked for nothing. That's okay. And police department, I was charging them $25. They seldom ever paid me. But the parental stress had more of a compassionate meaning. And uh, my goal was, can I help these mothers and fathers not be abusive? But after about two years, I was pretty burnt out. I couldn't do it anymore. That has to be energetically draining. It was. It was. I loved doing it, but it was energetically draining. Okay, so I was going to share this with you. I found this the other day. It's me in the white jacket there, and we're suspending a person across two chairs. And then we're going to sit on her after she's across two chairs. That was in my hypnosis show days. My first hypnosis gig, I didn't know what I was doing. I went to this club called Lucifer's Den. And uh, the person that owned it, his name was Rocky, and he was kind of a burly guy. So I'll tell you what. You get hypnotized me, you've got the job. Okay. So I was lucky he was a natural somnambulistic. So we, I hypnotized him and he's standing there and he wasn't sitting or anything. And so I told him, now feel your body getting stiff as a board. It won't bend. And there was a couple of guys standing around watching us. So I showed him what I wanted to do, pick him up, let's put him across two chairs. At that time we had a Polaroid camera, took a picture of him across the two chairs, took him off the chairs and he's standing there. I said, okay, open your eyes. He says, see, I told you, you can't hypnotize me. I showed him the picture and I got the job. I was there 21 weeks. And, uh, so it, it works. It works by trusting that you could do it. Okay. Trust that you could hypnotize anybody who walks in your space. Anybody. You need to know them. Once you know them, you'll have success. Always listen to what they're not saying. That's mm. So Larry, how did, how did you go about building up confidence to do that? I used to be very insecure. I, in, in grammar school, I was bullied a lot. You know, a pretty effeminate person and grammar school even more so. I'm a straight male, but I always had a lot of feminine characteristics, maybe being raised by a single mom. Single moms are the best. Single moms know how to communicate. Good for you, Quessy. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I say that openly often. And um, so my confidence level was horrible. I didn't speak English till I was five years old. I was raised by an Italian grandmother and a mother who were always catering to me because I was the prince of the family. But it didn't make me confident. It made me, made me subservient. It made me dependent. So in grammar school, because I didn't do sports, I've never been good at catching a ball. My way of catching the ball was always to protect my face. <laughs> I've never played football because I was afraid they'd hurt me. Uh, I've never, never been in a fight. I'm 80 years old and I have never been in a fight and I've never had anybody fight me. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. Wow. So when, when you think of that, it must be I've always had some kind of protection by being who I am.
I've never tried to be who I'm not. I started stuttering when I was in third grade because of a teacher making fun of the way I spoke. I stuttered until I was about almost 30 and then stopped stuttering when I uh, was hypnotized. So how did I gain the confidence? I think it was like monthly payments, actually. I think it was like each day. You know, I have a phrase. If you haven't seen some of my five minute videos, take a look at some. One of my use a profound one that says, we become what we think about all day long. So it's not what you do. It's not what you have. It's what you are thinking about yourself every day, all day. I don't think with ego. I think with sureness. And sureness is why can't I do what I want to do? Can you fly an airplane? Well, yeah, I was, I think I was in my late twenties and uh, before I was doing hypnosis full time and I worked for a person who had an airplane and he used to let me fly it. I was taking lessons, but I'd never finished because it was too much paperwork. <laughs> I don't like paperwork. Uh, and uh, so I, I could do anything that I want to do. Uh, my uh, my right-hand person, handyman Mike. Uh, I met Mike about 20 years ago. He used to be a gangbanger. He's got a couple of bullets in him, probably has used as many going out. And uh, when I first met him, I thought, ooh, this guy is a case. What's interesting, because Mike today can do anything. He has no doubts. He believes in himself. He hardly ever says no. He used to have a phrase and he'd say to me, well, what if it doesn't work? Mike, we haven't started it yet. How do we know what if it doesn't work? What if it does work? Then we will miss out on it. Most fear of failure is based on fear of success. Did you know that, Ashley? No, I did not. Okay. Think about anything that you would like to do. The first thought you have is, what if I can't do it? But let's use some awareness here and say, Let's stop for a moment and say, well, why can't you? What if you can't do? Why? Because mm -hmm. you doubt. Remember, we, Kwesi, we were talking about doubt. Mm -hmm. Doubt, trust. So now let's say you trust you could do it. You know, the subconscious mind is always dealing with yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I've even made up silly examples that when a person has tremors, their tremor is saying yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, in slow motion. They speed mm -hmm. it up. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no because there's an expression there that's pulled back, expression pulled back, express it. I'm making it up. I'm sure some neurological physician would say, you're wrong, Larry. <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. I didn't say I was right on everything. I just say, I make things up. So when we think of the fear of success, it's always based with the fear of failure. If I use the analogy, this is a good one for you. I hadn't thought about this until just this minute. When a person comes in to quit smoking, and sometimes with other people, I use the analogy that the guy has to quit smoking. And uh, he tells me a story of his life because I always want to hear stories. I'm a very visual person. So when I hear a story, I could become them. And he tells me his wife wants him to paint the wall. I said, why don't you paint the wall? because every time I think about painting a wall, I light a cigarette. So he's never going to quit smoking and he's never going to paint the wall because he's smoking. So he smokes to keep from painting the wall. So to get him to quit smoking, we say, why don't you want to paint the wall? Right? Right. So, so Ashley, you asked the question, why doesn't he want to paint the wall? Two answers. Because he is afraid of failing good what's the other one he's afraid of being successful good <laughs> so if he fails he'll be criticized yes good if he's successful he'll have another wall to do yeah yes <laughs> he doesn't even know if he could do the first wall because of his doubt but if he removes the doubt, he's fearful that he's got another wall to do mixed with the fear that he can't do the first one. Mm -hmm. That's the way to sub subconscious mind is like, I always say it's like a container. In fact, that's another drawing that I do with my clients that you probably saw in the manual. 
So the top of the funnel is when you're awake. Oh, I can't do it. Okay, anyways, awake. <laughs> and there are many, 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 many thoughts there. So hypnosis does this. When you think about all the thoughts that are in the mind right now, each of us right now has a hundred or more thoughts going on at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have anxiety or anger or worry or guilt or doubt, those thoughts dribble over the side like that. So like if you took a container, I take this glass of water and I fill it up and I fill it up and it's overflowing. That's what our mind does when our emotions are not in peace or balance. Strength and power and confidence and health is based on being at peace. When we're not at peace, the mind overflows called overreactivity of the mind. This is common for people when they lay down to go to sleep at night. They lay down to go to sleep and immediately start thinking all the things they got to do tomorrow, they should have done today. What if this doesn't work? And they have difficulty falling asleep because there's too much activity. The mind needs to quiet to go to sleep. So hypnosis creates this funnel. And I say, whatever, you, whatever you've been taught, I'm not contradicting it, just my view, that in hypnosis, we have three levels. We have a light level, we have a medium level, and then we have a deep level. So in the light level of hypnosis, there's less thoughts as you can see by the funnel. So instead of 100 thoughts, we'll say there's 50. So now when you say, I'd like to quit smoking or whatever the goal might be, there's less conflict. Up here, you had a lot of conflict. And if the mind is overflowing, forget it. So in the light level, and I say, well, light level, now this is where you remove some myths. A light level of hypnosis to me is closing your eyes, Breathe calm and relax. Just closing your eyes, you're removing the distractions in your vision. And by calming and breathing slow, you start relaxing called meditation or prayer or biofeedback or light hypnosis. And here's another one for you. When you go into a medium level of hypnosis instead of 50, I'm making these numbers up, by the way, you might have 25 thoughts in the medium level. Now, when you say I want to quit smoking, there's not much conflict. Positively speaking, beyond that, there is a redu reduction or absence of tactile sensations in a medium level. So that means a medium level is good for childbirth or, or surgery or mm -hmm. headaches or pain or discomforts on a physical level because you're not feeling your body. Have the three of you been hypnotized where you don't feel your body? Yeah. And you're in a medium level. You're still aware. You still can hear the hypnotist. You still can understand. By the way, there's more acceptance. I call it assumed agreement. You agree. The hypnotist says, and you're going to feel better not smoking. Sounds great, Larry. Yeah, that's what you right? That what you feel? Yeah. yeah. Disagree with me. If you just don't agree, tell me. I don't agree with yeah, you. Yeah, we learned it as something called hypersuggestibility, not maybe to this level, but you become more sensitive and responsive yes. to healing ideas. As you go deeper. Yes. So then yeah. the deepest level, by the way, so there's no tactile sensations. That means you don't feel your body. So anyway, so then we go to the deep level. Instead of 25 thoughts, we have five thoughts. Highly susceptible level. That's the level of hypnosis that stage hypnotists like to use called somnambulistic. It means that the person's mind is there. Below the deep level is sleep. Mm -hmm. That's when a client, if a client falls asleep, so what? When I was hypnotizing Uday Hussein, I would not have come home if I was not successful. I was asked to come back a second time. I was there on September 11, 2001. Everybody had issues going on in 2001. And uh, I was with Uday Hussein watching television in Iraq and Baghdad, but I wouldn't have gone back if I wasn't successful. And how I was successful with him, in the beginning, he said to me, he said to his partner there, tell Larry that was good, but next time must be better, must be deeper. He didn't even know what he was talking about. I knew what he wanted. He wanted to not be so consciously aware. So I talked to him until he went to the deep sleep, and then I talked to him until he fell asleep. All of a sudden, he's going. 
I said, aha. So now when I told him, open your eyes, I kind of shook his arm. Okay, open your eyes. Oh, very good, Larry, very good, because he didn't remember. He, he needed to not remember. Going back to hypnosis being like a wave, no. and you make the comment that like a lot of times you're going to maybe not hear everything the hypnotist is saying. You might be kind of somewhere else in your mind, but that, that your subconscious mind is still open and receptive to hearing everything, correct? I think better. Yes, I think better because we're not using logic to hear it. We're using emotions to feel it. I, I don't tell you how to speak, but uh, Anita's got a specialty going on in that one, tonal qualities. So use tonal qualities like you're speaking to a young child. You mm -hmm. tell them how great they're feeling and how special this is. And they'll feel that even if they don't hear the words. It's like dreams. The dreams that you don't recall have more significance and power than the ones you recall. You wake up from a bad dream and say, oh, I had this terrible dream. Somebody was chasing me. So it's just a dream. But if you wake up and say, oh, boy, I feel scared. I feel nervous. Why? I don't know because you had a dream somebody chasing you, but you don't remember it. There's more power when you don't remember. Mm. Mm -hmm. Love that. And your critical factor is totally gone. Yes. Uh, I've often, often trusted that clients would come to see me when they were ready. So mm. instead of motivating them, like one thing I think about advertising is come to me and quit, quit smoking with hypnosis. So the person's got an irrational expectation that they're going to quit smoking and i think that the language needs to be changed in hypnosis and not say you're going to lose weight you're going to quit smoking that i'm going to teach you how to be in control i'm going to teach you how to feel the abilities to quit because i think hypnosis is not a therapy it's an education and if we view it as an education you know like ashley does therapy that's different uh we're talking about teaching people how to feel and I often say, you go to school to learn how to know things, but where do we go to learn how to feel things? Mm. No therapist. And so I've I been doing five minute plugs of how to feel good every day in life. How hey, to, Larry, where do we find that? Uh, you'll find it on Instagram and Larry Garrett. I think it's called, what is it called? Larry Garrett Wellness, maybe. You could find it on uh, Facebook on Larry Garrett. And you can find it on YouTube. Got it. And uh, there's a lot of videos. I think I've got about 15 of those. I just started that a while back and said, you know, what if we spend, because we don't, it's like, it's like uh, TikTok. You know, we don't have time to sit there for an hour and listen to somebody ramble and talk like we've been doing all the time. This goes on. What do you do these once a week, once a month? What do you do? Uh, these, these podcasts or what? Yeah. How often do you do them? couple of months right girls i mean it's we do numerology to figure out Good. so it seems like it's like a couple of months right yeah okay so these five minute videos i've been attempting to do one every week or 10 days and uh i just think of a different topic and so uh i i share one with Ashley's questions earlier about success and confidence that i heard from a, a, a discussion on npr and this person uh, was a, uh, he's an entrepreneur. He says, and successful entrepreneurs always look for a way to be successful. That's an interesting statement. We say, don't we all? No, most of us go around looking for ways not to be. Most people say, I don't want to go downtown. There's no place to park. Well, somebody's parked down there. Somebody is parked down there, but you're going to go looking for no place to park and you're going to pass up a parking space because you're not looking for parking spaces. You're looking for no place to park. That's a Wayne Dyer story. I don't know if you've heard that one, Allie. He's taught me a lot. And what he talks about now, I believe I live. Uh, not, not many people could mess with me because I'm just who I am and I'm okay. You know, I'm an 80 year old dude that just knows that life is okay and nobody could hurt me. When we're younger, we don't know who we are. You know, I'm going to ask Kwesi a good question. Maybe I asked last time. Kwesi, who are you? Um... Um is a good answer, you see, because that shows what we know. Ask your dad that one. That's a good one, Kwesi. I bet your dad even has an answer. My answer to who we are is a sum total of everything since the day we were born till now. 
Mm. Doesn't that tell us a lot? What about our past lives also? Past lives mm. as well. I used to be a shoemaker in one of my past lives and I love nice shoes. I was a lumberjack. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have a tree that needs to be cut down. <laughs> hey, something we didn't speak about, one of my greatest pet peeves, if I have pet peeves, is criticism. Criticism is destruction of the human mind. I say these words to every client that sits there that we get into this conversation. Every person that has sat in that chair is there because they've been criticized by others or themselves. And so criticism to me is really a, it's the cancer of the mind. Mm. Good word, I've never used that, but it's the cancer of the mind. So we need to stop allowing people to criticize us. So how I've stopped people from criticizing me is when people criticize me in my mind, instead of reacting or feeling a reaction, I think, now, why does that person have a need to tell me I'm not okay? What's going on with them? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I make up stories, but I make up a story. I told you it's all about stories and metaphors. It starts in kindergarten. And I have to go to school and my mother makes me wear this ugly shirt. And I hate this shirt. I hate it. So I get to school and the first thing I do is I look for the wimpiest kid and I say, ha ah, you got an ugly shirt on before he notices I have one that's ugly. So criticism starts with me not being okay by telling you, you're not okay. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a Christian the other day and he says, well, we have to criticize people. No, Jesus says that we shouldn't criticize people. Let the person without sin throw the last stone. Well, you don't understand. We have to criticize people because they're not doing the right thing. By whose rules? Whose rules that they're not doing the right thing? You know, we have laws and guidelines for people because some people don't adhere. But we don't need to criticize people or judge people on a, on a, on a subjective level. Mm -hmm. And I say, even the judge in a courtroom isn't judging he or she is taking in all the information to determine not to judge and say, you're no good because you killed that person. As I said earlier, I've hypnotized murderers. And I learned in 1983, spending four hours with a famous murder case in Chicago, even a murderer has a reason for what they do. Mm -hmm. Sometime we have more time, I'll tell you that story. Thank you. I, I love the three of you. I enjoyed so much being with you. And uh, I'm sure we'll do this again. And you can write to me anytime, whatever you need. And you can find me on uh, social media as well. Be well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Yes, Larry. thank you so much, Larry. We really appreciate this. It was my yes. pleasure. It was my and, pleasure and honor. And thank you all, you listeners, for listening in on this podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share or comment. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.